Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, hosted by Angel Radcliffe. Tune in as we discuss finances, success stories, and inspiring vibes that will help nurture growth. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Melissa Lorena, who is a career coach for marketers. She's the CEO and founder of Career Outcomes Matter. Her global career coaching practice is focused on empowering marketers and other creative professionals to rediscover what makes them unique so they can land their dream job in a forward-thinking company where their ideas are listened to, valued, and supported. Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much, Angel. This is so amazing to be here. I love having a conversation with other fellow podcasters. This is awesome. It is. And what makes this episode so unique is you are located in Australia. I am in the Southern Hemisphere. I am totally a day ahead of you. And I can tell you with certainty that tomorrow is going to be outstanding. I love telling everyone. <laughs> so you're a fortune teller. <laughs> you're in another oh, yeah. part of the world. So what part of our Australia are you in? I am in Sydney, Australia. Sydney is essentially the New York City of the United States, but for Australia. And then Sydney is inside of a state, just like New York State, but it's called New South Wales. We had a, a conversation previously, and I found out that you're originally from the U.S. You're from New York. Transitioning and moving to an, another country has always been my dream. So what has it been like living in another country for you? I love that question because obviously it's something that makes me smile when I think about it. For me, what has been really interesting is the fact that I feel like this is the third time that I've moved in another part of the world or lived in another part of the world. However, it's not like a study abroad experience as I've had in the past where it was just me and I was prancing around cities and going to clubs and meeting people. Now it's me <laughs> and three humans that are my little sons and my husband and their school and there's responsibilities and work. So it's a little different this time around. In the past, I had lived in London. I had lived in Paris and they, they're as sexy as they sound. So that was, and those were extremely amazing and just very surprising experiences. And now here being in Australia for more than two years at this point with my family, it's been really it's interesting because it's it's settling as in I found my rhythm I found the sort of places I like to enjoy I've learned new things I've taken up sailing as something that I, I just learned and it's been amazing in its own ways in its own sort of I'm a mom with my family in another country sort of ways. Anyone that's considering living in a new place is going to have fears. They're going to have uncertainties. They're, they might even doubt themselves on their way to that new place. You have to just be very flexible because we had done so much due diligence. We asked people that lived in Australia my husband nor I had ever set foot in Australia, but we knew some key things. We knew that it was safe overall. We knew that there were good school districts, and we knew that a lot of people that visited Australia never said 
man, Australia really sucks. Everybody had great stories about Australia. So that gave us the courage we needed to make that leap. And we also realized that we had to roll with the punches. That's something that's important if you're thinking of relocating anywhere, especially if you have kids. No one anticipated the wildfires. Just like right now, no one anticipated except Bill Gates, COVID. So with that in mind, being flexible and being open to the possibility that even if you go through a huge change, you might have to go through a second and third change. That makes things a lot easier when it comes to relocating. And then obviously, Angel, there were lots of considerations about how do you get a visa? And is this something that was required by an employer? And it wasn't required that me nor my husband nor my children would relocate from the United States to Australia. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't like the employer for my husband, for example, said, hey, you've got to go to Australia. Instead, it was something that my husband in his mind came to the conclusion when he turned 40. He said, you know what? life can be different for our kids. They can have a different life experience. And by the way, what I'm hearing and experiencing living that New York City living life doesn't feel so good anymore. It doesn't feel meaningful. It feels a little void. So why not reconsider where we live as one way for us to give our kids the adventure that life has become for the two of us. It started with a decision and then it rolled into a commitment. And then my husband found an employer and said, I will work for you on the condition that you sponsor the visa for my family. So a lot went into that choice, but ultimately it was something that we did have to really express a lot of bravery towards executing all the little steps along the way. That sounds amazing. Thanks so much for sharing and going into detail. I am, I feel like I'll be hitting you up for questions. (laughs) So you mentioned London and Paris and all these other places that you've lived. Uh, London is like my dream city and I've been to Paris like all of Europe. I love Europe. I want to get into some other things because we met through a Facebook group or that's how we connected. I I want to reiterate, I've mentioned on several episodes before the power of social media and you never know who you'll meet on social media, what stories people will have. It's just so amazing. When I was preparing for this episode, I saw something very interesting in your profile. So I saw that you attended law school Mm -hmm. and (laughs) That is interesting. So do you mind sharing a bit about that, the experience? And clearly you're not practicing law, so you're Mm -hmm. doing something totally different. And I know as we go out, as we move throughout life, our thought processes change. We want to do different things. So what made you go to law school? So I love that you were able to see that because a lot of people don't notice that and amazing research skills for sure. What I would say is law school for me, it was, it turned out to be one semester at Fordham Law School. So in the fine print, I say it was one semester too many. 
And the reason why I decided to attend law school had nothing to do with interest in law. It had nothing to do with finding meaning and wanting to solve some sort of issue or touch policy that meant anything to me. Instead, it had everything to do with significance, with ego and with making my dad proud. That's what it had to do with. That thought of me going after law school was something that popped up maybe when I was 12 years old. And when I was 12 years old, I just had this thought. I was like, okay, so if I go to law school, then that means I'm going to make a lot of money. That means I'm going to be able to have a big house. And that means I'm going to be able to do something that my dad was not able to do. He had attempted to go to law school as well. And he left too. So the interesting bit there is rather than me learning from his mistakes, I decided that I needed to experience the full breadth of the experience to ultimately realize that it wasn't for me either. So when I went to law school, and again, this is the interesting part. It's once you make a decision when you're 12 years old, it's pretty crazy how the choices you make along the way as you mature are still influenced and informed by those decisions, even if they are incredibly irrational. For example, when I, in my mind, decided I wanted to go to law school when I was 12, later on, when I earned a full ride from Chase, effectively the bank back then, now it's called JPMorgan Chase, when I earned a full ride from them to attend my undergrad NYU, I had the opportunity to work in all these different business units when I was a kid. I was 17 years old being groomed by Chase to become an executive at some point. However, rather than seize that opportunity, I was just thinking, I'm going to law school. So nothing I really do here is going to matter. I really took that experience for granted. Ultimately, other opportunities I took for granted as well because I was preparing for the LSAT, the entrance exam for law school. Took the LSAT, enrolled at Fordham, and then when I attended, I was the one picking up the bill for my Fordham Law School education. And that really hit me hard because I remember I was living in a studio apartment in Astoria, Queens, New York, and I would have my law school case books right next to my bed. And I would wake up at 5 a.m. to get those books, crack open those books, really understand the letter of the law, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt so much fear because I felt like, okay, now I did all of this to get into law school. I must pass. That was the baseline. But I have to ultimately really show that I'm intelligent back to significance. So all of that culminated in what felt like a breakdown. I was walking one day. This was a beautiful sunny day. I was walking one day and I just remember just bawling. I was tearing. I was crying. And this was during that first semester of law school. And I called my dad and I said, dad, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I remember he was like really coaching me on the phone back then, basically saying, Melissa, you don't have to do this. It's your decision, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, 
I quit law school. And when I quit law school, I came to my own conclusion that a lot of the people that were my peers at law school, they didn't really want to be at law school either. So it was really interesting to see how some people made the decision to continue and finish what they started. And other people like myself decided to say, you know what, I've had one semester, this is not what I want, and do something differently. And that was the moment when I actually started interviewing a bunch of people. And back then it just felt really fun, just like this, just like a podcast. I would interview people that were guidance counselors. I would interview people that were in advertising. I just interviewed people to figure out what the heck did I want to become? Who did I actually want to be? What career should I actually pursue? And how can I mitigate the risk, just like you might want to mitigate the risk of relocating to a new country, but how can you do that in terms of a career choice? Often when I'm career coaching my clients, that's a lot of the baggage that they come with. They made a decision. Maybe it was when they were 18. Maybe it was when they were 30. Maybe it was when they became a dad. And ultimately, may, maybe in this life stage, that decision no longer serves them. That decision almost holds them back ties them down to an old identity that is no longer going to help them truly unleash their potential, feel authentic happiness, and do some amazing things in the world where they could contribute and make a real dent in the universe, to quote Steve Jobs. That's where I'm coming from. That's my vantage point. It's I've been there. I know what it feels like to put my tail between my legs. When I called my dad, that was no easy feat. I was embarrassed. I felt like a liar. I felt, wow, like a loser, straight up loser. Clearly, since then, I've gotten back up. I've made different choices and it's still a journey. But I would say that decision, it wasn't as well thought out as anyone would lead you to believe that a lot of our decisions are. A lot of that happens after the fact when you're trying to piece together a career narrative and the like. But it's definitely a place where I use that experience to help others. Awesome. I want to talk about career outcomes matter. And this is your own company. I always refer to businesses as like people's babies. So mm-hmm. although you have a family and you have children, like you have another baby, you have your, your business. So let's talk about how did this get started and tell us more about, about what you do. In terms of this business, it's great that you identify it as like a baby because it really is my fourth child. And the way that it got started was when, so after the law school experience, I ended up choosing marketing as the thing that I wanted to do. And when I chose marketing, I had the opportunity to work at an agency, a global agency called Ogilvy & Mather. At Ogilvy and Mather, what I was realizing was that I was coaching people that were senior to me. I was helping them with their resumes. And it might seem ironic, but we got to a point of comfort with a lot of my peers and people that were more senior than I, that they were trusting me with their resumes, as an example, to look for new opportunities, ironically, because English wasn't their first language for some of them. So I worked on a team that was Latin America region. And I remember coaching people that were more senior than me at the time pertaining to a lot of the documents that they needed in order to grow in their career, 
even like a performance evaluation. So this was happening behind the scenes. <laughs> Nobody but you, Angel, <laughs> knows this and your listeners. And back then I thought to myself, this is amazing. This is really fun in terms of the shift in dynamics, how I could be coaching someone that has more years of experience in the workplace. However, I have more years of experience in terms of learning how to pitch myself. And that came from my experiences since I was 17 working for Chase. So Chase, the reason why I landed that opportunity, which was that full scholarship to NYU, was because early on in my career, it was the difference between me getting that scholarship or better put, the difference between me getting that scholarship or having a huge burden of college debt landed on how effectively I was able to master the interviewing process. I remember when I had the chance to interview with executives at Chase, this was years ago when I was 17, I had to figure out how I could pitch myself. I had no idea how to do this at the age of 17. Like who the heck does? So what I did, this was a little less online savvy timeframe, was go to the library. So I went to the Queens Public Library. I think I took out like 27 books on interviewing and I was just cramming. And as I began to understand what it takes to effectively package, position and pitch yourself, Back then at 17, I leveraged those skills in order to land that role and that scholarship at Chase. Fast forward to my time at Ogilvy and Mather, I had realized that there was something about me that was a little different than my peers. I had this knowledge of what it took to be successful in terms of getting into corporations, the hardest corporations to get into in the entire world. Like I had this gift. Also wanted to add in law school, let's add on to this one. I remember a legal writing course, my professor coming to the conclusion in addition that I had this gift of asking questions, very refined strategic questions. And she called me on it in front of the class, which was amazing in terms of feeling great about myself. But I tied those things together, those two gifts. Okay, I have this incredible knowledge of what people do and how they talk in corporate. I know how to ask questions that are strategic and powerful. How can I learn? that in terms of my own business. So I created Career Outcomes Matter precisely six months after I became a mom. I attended the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. Before that, I earned my degree. That was the time when I was in Paris to close the loop there when I was studying abroad. But after that, graduated, did Tuck, and then once Tuck happened, which was around the financial crisis of 2008, that time also I was helping my peers across sections, whether they were investment bankers or not interested all of a sudden, given the Lehman crash in investment banking, but all of a sudden wanted to be consultants. I was helping these guys. I was leveraging these gifts. That's how the business started in a way that excluded money. It was all for free and it was me helping out friends. But when I became a mom, I decided I didn't want to be in advertising anymore because what I had done was I attended business school 
But what I did was before that, I tried, which is what I should have done in law school or before going to law school, I tried working in the business world. I tried working in advertising and I enjoyed working in advertising. So the idea was to get my MBA after I tried the experience and then go back into advertising. But when I became a mom, advertising from a working mom perspective was inflexible. Ironically, because this is the interesting bit. When I became a mom, I originally asked for a Friday that was work from home. That's all I asked for. One Friday work from home. And they were unwilling to give me that Friday work from home. It was impossible, which now we can all laugh. It's well, every day's work from home. But back then they weren't as flexible. So I decided to go on my own. I built out Career Outcomes Matter. And the way that I started that was ultimately, I remember I had my firstborn on a baby Bjorn, one of those carriers you put on your chest. And I went to a bread shop, Le Panquetine in Manhattan, and I met my first client there. The reason, not to go off course, but the reason why I mentioned the Ogilvy and Mather experience was because my first client was the husband of a former co-worker from Ogilvy and Mather whom I had helped with her resume for free. But with her husband, it would have been as my first paying gig, so to speak. So I met them both at the Le Panquetine with my eldest son, Gabriel, on my baby Bjorn. I looked super cute. Plus, I brought an extra human for backup. So that was pretty cool. And when I was pitching my first client, I remember that my baby was a little uncomfortable and it was really hard for me to have a real grown-up conversation about how I was going to coach this person to land an investment banking job. The interesting bit I would say is I handed my baby to his wife, someone that I had worked with at Ogilvy, and my baby looked even more uncomfortable all of a sudden. And I'm in the middle of a sales conversation. All of a sudden, his wife comes over to me and says, I think he pooped <laughs> and apparently oh <laughs> I know and apparently he had angel he like actually pooped so here's the cool part I still got the client so that that just tells you that it was meant to be that's how my business officially started baby Bjorn some poop and and a win right by Grand Central Station and as you'll notice, I said investment banking, but since then, what I've done is I've really honed in on a specialty, which is coaching marketing professionals. And the reason why I landed on coaching marketing professionals throughout their job search process end to end is because marketing professionals often turn to me saying that they wish they could be more strategic. They wish they could be more creative and the work that they do is all all around helping to amplify or build a brand. What I found to be really important is that same thinking needs to happen in your job search. And I just was not seeing it. I was seeing the most boring, boring job search processes led by some of the most amazingly creative and strategic and thoughtful humans who were almost like throwing away marketing 101 sort of tools and tactics when it came to building their own personal brands, whether it's from a job searching 
perspective, or it was from a, let me stand on my own two feet and at minimum have a brand, like a personal professional brand that's going to make me incredible and present me as a thought leader that I am in whatever space I'd like to be a thought leader in. So tying it all together. That's how I created Career Outcomes Matter. Originally, I was 17, helping my peers for free. Fast forward, business school, helping my peers during the financial crisis, keep moving in terms of my own experiences. I just felt like there were certain things that I could help others through that maybe they hadn't seen for themselves, which is a lot about showing people that they matter, their ideas matter, their contributions and their talents matter as well. That is quite the story. Oh my gosh. So, you know, it it all comes full circle as you're telling your story and you're talking about your experiences. And I don't think so many people do like that self-reflection where they're thinking about how they may have this one gift or this one talent and it comes back around uh, in your life later on. And maybe that's something that you should really be doing. So I really appreciate you sharing. One of the questions I have is as you're working with these people who are in marketing or in that particular industry, what are some of the questions that you receive outside of someone's uh, resume review? I love that question because what I will say is that oftentimes people reach out to me because of things, their resume, they have had it. They just are over it. It's like, how many more times am I going to look at this thing? Should it be X number of of pages? Should I include something from 1997, even if it's relevant? There's so many reasons why people approach me. And it never tends to be because they feel like they're not enough, right? It's never that it's always something that can be seen with the eyes and just feels like a tactical, tough thing to do. And what I have found to be the case more often than not is that early on when I was coaching my peers, they had no quote unquote corporate scars. There was no career trauma early on. The assumption, which is laughable now, but the assumption was Men, people that work in corporate environments, they look pretty happy. They get to wear nice things. They get to travel. Like that must be amazing to work in corporate. That's where they were coming from. So there wasn't that career trauma, as I call it. Fast forward to today, what I'm encountering is these are professionals who grew up during a time of the financial crisis. Before that, the dot-com burst. Now we have COVID. So they have been in these environments where they have had to work the job of three people, them being one human being and only being compensated for one human being. They have had to deal with bosses, people, leaders, who should not be people leaders. They have had to come to terms with the fact that SVP role is not going to happen for them. They have had to make tough decisions of leaving the workplace. So the people that I support right now, although they come to me for things that feel very like superficial, like a resume, we really talk about and what's really important is all that stuff that has happened throughout their career that has informed their own sort of thinking as to what even belongs on their resume. Plus on top of that, who should even see their resume. Plus on top of that, whether their voice is going to 
tremble when they're interviewing because of some of those things that they've endured or experienced. So beyond the questions of does this read right, what I like to do is really think through, okay, why are you not willing to say that you, as an example, are an ex-Google employee? Like, why are you not willing to say that? Whether it's outright say that to someone, if that was the case for you, or just a tech base in Texas or like a Texas Instruments employee or like a Frito-Lay employee or something. Like these are like big brands. And some people might not even be willing to think about those big brands because they have shame behind those experiences. Maybe they were told by their boss, hey, you're really horrible at this job or you made a wrong decision or whatever it might be. So those are the things that we will work through as we do all those necessary and sometimes unnecessary, if I'm really sharing some insights here, things or tools when it comes to the job search process. So we might for sure, not might, we 100% resolve whatever's necessary when it comes to your resume. But before we even get to your resume, we need to just figure out like, what are you made of? And how is it that you have not changed? How is it that you have grown even more powerful? Because rather than lock yourself in your room and never come back out, you actually decided to stand back up after a tough work or career experience or life experience for that matter. And you continue to try to bring the best of you to work. So it's really starting from that perspective. They'll ask me as an example, how much money should I be earning as an example? They'll be like, oh, I work in Texas. Oh, I work at, I'm just going to say Frito-Lay for the heck of it. But I work at Frito-Lay or PepsiCo. My senses, my title is like senior director of whatever. How much money should I be looking to command? And that's what they might ask me. And I consider that like a superficial one-on-one sort of question. Now we go a little deeper. Let's have a conversation. Let's think about your own scorecard. What sort of value have you brought to the table personally and professionally such that you have made someone money in some sort of way or money has been donated or whatever? Starting the conversation with a scorecard essentially is what I call it, just to retain the language that's normal in corporations, although I could call it anything I want. But We start there. We say, okay, let's just imagine making it up. Let's say you make $150,000. Great. So that's what you made. That's not exactly what you're worth. That's not exactly also what you have brought to the table. And a lot of times people early on reach the conclusion, wait a minute, I have made corporations millions upon millions of dollars. I'm not saying you're going to get all those millions because a company has to make an ROI. But what I am saying is I want you to just realize that you are not your paycheck. Your compensation is not an accurate reflection of what you have brought to the table. It might actually tell you of what, where your insecurities are. Like, why didn't you ask for X period. You know what I mean? Why didn't you ask for a bonus? Why didn't you ask for this? A lot of that is unearthed when it comes to the other questions that people ask me when they feel more comfortable with me. So the first thing I do in my process is we jump on a breakthrough session. So I'll have a 60 minute complimentary conversation with a marketer who's in a job search or should be. And 
we go through, okay, what is it that hasn't been working in your job search, but what is it that you really want? And what is it going to take to get there? And oft, more often than not, sure, a resume is something that we can do. And that's something that I teach every single person that that interacts with me. But more than that, how can we give you the guts you need to ask for your true worth and then go show up to an interview without having your voice tremble when you're talking about something that happened that presents you as being valuable, but might feel a little bit like nerve wracking. And then how can we match that up with when it comes to salary negotiation? How can you not buckle under pressure when someone says, no, you can only get this much? How can you then assert yourself. And that's something that you bring with you through your whole life. One client of mine, as an example, he has a son that has autism. And right now he works in a field that is unaligned with his values and who he is. And when he came to me, he was really feeling like he had to make himself get out of bed. There was no like joy. There was no like jumping out of bed with like amazing marketing ideas. And that's how he started off. Now we've gotten him to the point where he's talking to people people that he's never spoken to. He has the confidence to do. He is sharing thought leadership pieces. And when I use the word thought leadership pieces, a lot of people in corporate think, oh my God, you have to be like a McKinsey person in order to do something like that, which is totally untrue. It could be as simple as an email with your opinion that's backed up by one article, but he puts that out there. He had never done that before. And now he's being interviewed by an organization that actually helped his son sleep when he was a baby. It was like an authentic organization that could help other children with autism. So it's amazing in terms of what we talk about. But when I think about that client, it wasn't his resume. His resume was not the issue. The big thing was how can he, being someone, being an immigrant from a small little farm town where he came from, how can he feel proud of his heritage? And how can he say that's part of his point of differentiation? And then how can he approach people without having to wait for anyone to see him as, as enough? How can he feel like he's enough and that he matters? So that's what we go through. You mentioned a few things that I wanted to hone in on. So I want to go back to you mentioning how some people are afraid to mention that they've worked for a certain company, certain brands. And then you also mentioned how, you know, people are in these leadership positions or being a people leader and they don't necessarily have uh, those soft skills to really be in that role. And I, I, I so agree with you <laughs> with my experience <laughs> from corporate America. I'm, I'm sometimes looking at people like, how the heck did you get this role? <laughs> So let's go back because in my next question, I, I wanted you to focus on, okay, here's the question. So it's like, what do you tell someone who's unable to set themselves apart? A part of what you do talks about bringing out someone's uniqueness. And aside from someone, I, gosh, I have to figure out like how to position this. So this, oh God, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to ask three questions in one. So here's, here's, let me give you a little backstory. Typically when I meet people and I know when you're going to look for a job or when you're presenting yourself for a job, it's totally different. It's a different introduction. But when I'm meeting people, a lot of people introduce themselves by their job or their title. And I'm like, 
okay, but that's not really who you are. And, mm-hmm. and usually when I'm asking people about themselves, they'll say, oh, I work for XYZ company. And as you were speaking, that really bounced in my head because of course, if you work for some major brand or big company, you want everyone to know, you want to stand on the, on the roof and shout it from wherever. And it's an accomplishment, especially like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Deloitte, mm-hmm. like all these huge companies. But, but I always try to tell people like your job is not necessarily like who you are. Your title is not necessarily who you are. Now, when you're working with someone for their resume, are you also helping them more like in this whole networking space? And how do you delve into finding out or identifying what their uniqueness is? So Angel, that's the interesting bit. When I interviewed Beth Comstock, she was the former or is the former CMO of GE. She just asserted what I love to think about when it comes to working with my clients who are also in marketing, which is the first step is really figuring out your point of differentiation. That's why earlier I had mentioned a little bit about how when a marketer is looking for a job, as an example, they might forget their own sort of like marketing 101 tools when it comes to marketing themselves effectively. So thinking about your point of differentiation and thinking about the way that I support people. So the way that I support people is very from the beginning to the end. So soup to nuts, actually, the way that um, actually, funny enough, the way that a former boss of mine explains my program because she was a part of it was exactly that way soup to nuts so the way that it works is it's nine weeks right nine weeks group coaching but there's also modules that someone would be going through and working through that does offer a lot of opportunity for self-reflection whether it comes to reflecting upon your scorecard which would be like the first week and figuring out okay how is it that my worth is not tied to the paycheck, but it's tied to the impact that I've made throughout my life, to what companies make sense, given the values that I truthfully believe in, and I actually use in which to behave with the world, to what we do in the third week is thinking about, okay, what's your unique selling proposition, which is the whole point is differentiation. So the third week, because this is a program that is specific to marketers, the third week is one of my favorites. And then I'll tell you my other two favorites, because I guess they're all my favorites because they're all kind of my babies in and of themselves. So that week is really using the same frameworks that Procter & Gamble, which builds, creates these multi-billion dollar brands, the same framework that they use for these inanimate objects or widgets or products. I've reformatted it essentially for the clients that I have to think about themselves like a product. Okay, what's the point of parity? What is the same? If someone's going to interview a VP of Consumer Insights for Procter & Gamble, when you get that interview, like you chances are already have, let's just imagine, although it's not a requirement, but the idea is you all have an MBA. Great. Check mark. Beyond that, you all have passed the sanity check. That is the HR screening program. Check mark. Great. You all probably know how to ask great questions because you're the person they go to for insight. So you've done a lot of consumer groups. So there's certain points of parity that are no longer distinguishable and not that interesting when you've already been asked to interview. So those are just like 
everybody has it. So how can you stand out amongst your peers? Then same framework, we have to think about what's the point of differentiation. So to your point, Angel, sometimes it boils down to a cocktail of experiences. So it may not be that you have a CPA, for example, designation. However, if you're like the only one in that room, like for the most part, markers don't have that, then that's part of your point of differentiation. So what does that then mean? That then means that when you're thinking about selling yourself at an interview stage, which is another key part of how I coach people, that then means that you want to really showcase that, right? Through the use of stories and through the use of powerful storytelling, not just here's the star method, here's the car method. That's great if you're not looking to be a visionary at any time in your career, but if you want to be a visionary, if you want to have those soft skills, that's actually more important for you to be really thoughtful and juicy when it comes to your stories. So that's incorporated into my program. And that's also a point of differentiation because marketers, they think of themselves as storytellers, but a lot of times it's hard to tell the stories of yourself. Getting that point of confidence and practicing is part of how I coach people. So we start with the scorecard or mindset. We also think about some limiting beliefs that you might have up front. For example, I can never be a people leader because I've always been an independent contributor. That could be like a very fair limiting belief. We work on that. Then we get to, okay, what companies align with your values. Next, what's your point of differentiation? Next, how is it that you interview? How can we interview more effectively? And the whole time we're networking. Yes, I have a week that's designated to that topic in terms of what's best in class networking and how to talk to strangers, especially if everybody around you is not happy in their job. Doesn't it behoove you to talk to people outside of your circle so you can see people that are happy with their job potentially? But networking is part of the very beginning. Actually, day one. So for nine weeks, you're networking and you're networking every single day. And networking is not something that's boring. Not in my book. We're actually networking right now, Angel. Right now, this is networking. This is pretty fun for me. I don't know about for you, but um, like it's it, if you're networking, you're not having fun. Chances are you're not really networking. It's really a mask that you're putting on as the corporate robot that you might feel like you need to be. But if you're like your real self, it can feel quite fun. On top of that, we also go into salary negotiation as well. So salary negotiation is part of it. Interviewing is part of it. Networking is constantly part of it. So when I talked about that client that was putting out thought leadership pieces on LinkedIn as part of his job search process, part of that was A, because no company is going to employ you for the rest of your life unless you work for the U.S. government. And then we have to start questioning that, too. It's important for you to have a brand. So I paired it. It's a little complicated, but I paired the thinking. I basically said, OK, client, I want you to build up your personal brand so that this way, later on, an employer can approach you for a job or poach you, and you have a brand on which to stand should you ever be unemployed. Plus on top of that, because you have the same thought leadership strategy going on, you're calling attention to yourself. You're calling attention to yourself. So people are looking at your content on LinkedIn. Sometimes you could see who is looking at your content and 
there you go. That's your networking list. You reach out to those people. You talk about segmentation, let's say, in terms of your thought leadership piece, all of a sudden, a bunch of segmentation interested marketers are going to look at your stuff. And now you have a list and it keeps on going on and on. But I think the first thing is just A, knowing how much you're worth beyond your paycheck, B, addressing any limiting beliefs such as no one's going to help me or people are all out to get them for themselves. All these thoughts that prevent us from just moving forward forward in our careers and lives, they're all part of the job search. So those nine weeks, it's about making sure that you're making progress, especially in areas that you're not comfortable making progress or doing things. So if you're scared of talking to strangers, guess what? That's going to be my number one objective with you. We're going to have you talk to a lot of strangers. If you're scared of putting yourself out there on LinkedIn, social media, guess what? You're going to be, you're going to be on social media and it's a muscle. So it's something that people practice, practice, incorporate into their life, and then have an always on strategy so that this way, should an employer ever let them go, they have built a brand and they're comfortable showing up on their own two feet. I wholeheartedly agree. So one of the things you talked about when you were explaining, you discussed being a storyteller and then it it just dawned on me. I was like, yes, that's like the, one of the, the hot words that's going around is, thought leader and storyteller. And definitely if you're working with marketers, <laughs> they have mm-hmm. to really tell like where they've been, what they're doing, where they're going and, and throwing those brands and titles around. So that does come into play and it all started to make sense. So I was like, oh gosh. So another thing you mentioned was like having a brand outside of corporate. And, and I'm so big on that, on having something else that you're doing so that you're not always thinking about your job or you're not just focused on your job because jobs are not guaranteed. And I I learned that the hard way years ago. So in the 08, 09 uh, recession, I was laid off and I was pretty young and did not know what to do like in a layoff. And (laughs) I've been a full-time entrepreneur two times in my life. So that first time involuntarily, and again, in 2015, voluntarily, it took a year off to, to build a brand. And it's so amazing to have something else that you're doing on the weekends or in the evenings or whatever your free time is, other than thinking about those work emails. I'm also a believer of multiple streams of income. And we think back to last year in COVID and how so many people lost their job and they didn't have anything else to stand on. And gosh, a business or brand or thought, being a thought leader or influencer, or what, whatever it is, I always tell people, do something, take your experience and how you... I want to take your word, being unique, take something that you do and be unique and get a message out. LinkedIn is awesome. And I love how I'm going to actually take that tip of who's looking at your content and reaching out <laughs> to those people. I, I typically don't reach out on LinkedIn to, to people in regards to branding and things of that nature, because I'm sure you receive messages as well, like those auto gen I don't know if they're auto generated but I'm sure that it's the same template for everyone <laughs> that's going out and it's I typically ignore <laughs> I'm like that actually might work but I myself don't read them so I'm like I wonder if anyone would read mine if I'm sending them we're to the end of the podcast and before we end I, I have so many questions like this could go on for forever and ever but um <laughs> Before we really get into the end, I want to ask you three questions about in relation to the podcast. I always say it's trivia time, three interesting questions. So let me know when you're ready. I am ready. All right. So the first question is, what motivates you? 
I love that question because I think it it really is something that I'm working on this, like in this life stage. So for me, really thinking and being totally like open about this, fear motivates me. And it, it motivates me because that's what got me through like my whole life experience, fear. Was I going to have enough money? Was I going to have enough stability? Was I going to make it out of here? Was I going to be able to support myself? So fear motivated me. And at this stage of my life in my 40s, I'm looking to turn that around. So I'm doing a lot of inner work to shift it to whatever the opposite of fear is, which doesn't even come to mind, which tells you exactly how deep in fear I have been. (laughs) I'm like, what's the opposite? Joy and happiness and fulfillment. So that's something I'm working on right now, Angel. So hopefully that helps anyone that is thinking about that for themselves. All right. And then when we're talking about milestones, gosh, just listening to your story and everything that you've been through, it seems like you have a lot, but what would you consider the most memorable? Most memorable milestone. I have have a lot of things that are in my memory. Let me think. Because the first, my gut instinct for anyone that's a parent, my gut instinct is like most memorable. Let me tell you, nursing my, my three individuals, two of which are identical twins. So that's memorable for sure. But I would say beyond motherhood, the most memorable thing would be, let me think. Let me just think. I think for me, it was that day when I was with my high school peers attending a like an employee affinity group event. And I was like 17 and I was at American Express and I got a phone call in a conference room and it was my mom and someone from Chase, both of them on conference call, calling me in the middle of this event where it was totally unexpected. And that was the day where my mom cried because I had gotten that full scholarship from Chase to work at Chase and and land the chance to work for to attend NYU for free. So that was really memorable because I was in the Twin Towers. And I remember that moment vividly as far as the emotional overwhelm that I felt like, oh, I made my mom proud, like she was crying. And oh, thank God, I, I got this chance to go to NYU for free. So that was most memorable and also totally big milestone. And when we're thinking about money, I want you to think back to when you were a kid or teenager, even young adult in college. When do you feel you first formed a relationship with money? So this is interesting because it takes me back to when I was a little girl, maybe four or five, six. Back in the days, my parents, they divorced and my dad would cut a check for child support. And it was $60 for a month of child support. And to be honest, my relationship with money back then, and even now, it's something again, that I'm working through as we're all works in progress. It's something that just, I had to come to terms that there shouldn't be this, like, negative energy and tone to paying for your child for the child support but there was always like this like anger around having to pay $60 for a month for your kid that was my first sort of relationship with money it was like $60 irritates 
my dad having to pay that amount for me. And it gave me this feeling in, inside that was not really good when it came to money. It was, oh, I make people angry when money's involved. And I love that you asked that question, Angel, because I think it's something that for me, the memory is very vivid again, because I'm doing my own inner work, but I'm sure for a lot of your listeners, it's something that they might not be able to like pinpoint, but that's when I first formed a relationship with money. That's a very interesting story. And I wish we had time to delve into that. (laughs) I would love to have you back on another episode. I've enjoyed our conversation. You've given such great information and very detailed. So I, I do appreciate that as far as definitely going into your travel history and your job history. It really lets the listeners get a better view of who you are. And with that being said, for anyone who's listening and they may need some help with their resume or career advice, where can they reach out to you? Thank you so much, Angel. This has been awesome too. I really love having a conversation that's like very deep, very rich. So I I appreciate your questions. In terms of reaching out to me, definitely find me on Instagram at Career Outcomes Matter. And you will definitely see a lot of insights pertaining to how to stand out when it comes to your job search, even by way of Instagram, might I add. So beyond LinkedIn. So I have some challenges available there. Also, you can go to the link melissalarena.com forward slash milestones. So this is specifically for your listeners. And the way that it's spelled, just so that I'm really clear, is M-E-L-I-S-A. Lorena is L. So that's two of them. A-R-E-N-A dot com forward slash milestones. And on that link, you will have access to the podcast episodes that I have released for an interview with Melissa Lorena. My podcast is on all the platforms that you enjoy podcasts. So iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the like. And you'll see my interview of Beth Comstock, who I mentioned earlier. You'll see conversation with Susie Batiste, uh, creator of Poopery, Gary V as well, and James Altucher. So a lot of amazing people that I have mustered the courage and energy to reach out to, just as I teach my clients how to muster the courage and energy to reach out to people to bring into their network so we can all be part of their success. So definitely reach out to me in terms of Instagram at Career Outcomes and also be sure to go to the link melissalarena.com forward slash milestones. And if you are in the middle of a job search and you're a marketing professional on that link, melissalarena.com forward slash milestones, you will be able to watch my free masterclass. It's about 45 minutes. And I go into the five-step strategy that marketers have leveraged in order to pivot into their dream marketing careers. So that is a free masterclass, definitely worthy of taking a lot of notes and I share amazing case studies from my clients. So thank you so much, Angel. Thank you so much for being a guest and thanks everyone for listening to the episode. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with Angel online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss RMBA. That's M-I-S-R-M-B-A. Be sure to subscribe and review. Join us next time as we continue to empower you through milestones, motivation, and money. 